All right, folks, Barack Lurie on the Barack Lurie Podcast. Thanks for being so patient. Uh, we've had uh, a lot of things going on. Of course, we had the Christmas holidays and the, uh, the general stuff going on, but that's no excuse. I like to get things out there, but boy, it's, it's tough. I got to tell you, anybody who has parents who are going through a health crisis um, or who are going through dementia, um, as I have with my parents, both at the same time, it's really, um, it's really quite challenging. It's, it's, um, makes you sad and makes you work uh, really hard. And uh, I think it's with my faith in God that somehow we can plow through. Um, I thank uh, the fact that my parents decided to have four kids. I'm one of four kids. And we all love each other and we're all pitching in. We're all doing what we can. It does make it a lot easier, I got to tell you. Uh, if you have, you know, only yourself to take care of both your parents when they, uh, they start kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking Declining. for? Declining, yeah. Um, it's going to be really hard. And hopefully you have a lot of money to be able to put them up in the right place so that you can take care of them, but without being overwhelmed by them. Um, but I, I do tell, I do say that it is really uh, beneficial to have a lot of kids uh, in your family. And I'm just blessed that we have that in ours and we, we all love each other. So my thanks to my brother and my two sisters who have been uh, really great supports and we're all chipping in. And anyway, uh, I guess enough about that. I want to talk about uh, some really interesting developments that have come about since my book, Atheist and Destroys, has come out. There's been a lot of nice attention to it. It's, been a, it's become a bestseller. Uh, and uh, on Facebook, there's been a lot of discussions about it. And I want to talk about that. But before I uh, say that, I want to introduce our good friend, Larry Greenfield, back by popular demand. He's been a great uh, co-host with me. I know you guys all miss Ari, uh, and Ari will be back. Um, don't worry about that. He also takes care of all the production here, and, and he's just such a great guy. I love him. But uh, Larry Greenfield is going to have to stand in. And, and I'll tell you one thing. Larry, you have a fantastic voice. You know, I think all the ladies swoon just by hearing your voice. I, I don't know if they care about what I'm saying, but they just said, let, let, let's just hear Larry. Let, so let's hear Larry. Go ahead. Loving what you're saying right there, Barack. <laughs> and hello to all the ladies and the gentlemen out there. <laughs> all right. This Barry White moment has been brought to you by Larry Greenfield. Hi. Uh, all right. So back to the issue at hand, which is about... Look, the book is doing really well. I'm, I'm happy about that. It's on pre-order right now on, on Amazon for both hardcover and softcover. Uh, it's available on Kindle if you want to get Kindle. And starting on Thursday, I'm actually recording the audio book for it. So it's available on Audible uh, soon enough. I probably, I, I'm guessing that'll be available in about a month's time. But um, I, I like Audible. I, I think it's, I, I was a slow adopter on that. And then I thought, oh, what the heck, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to one book. On Audible, and I forget which one it was, but I thought, you know what, this is this is kind of a, an easy experience for me. I could, I could listen to it while I'm running. I can listen to it while I'm, I don't know, doing the dishes or you know, doing something else that doesn't require too too much of my attention. And I get a lot done. And of course, while you're driving, that's always fun too. Okay, so things are going well with the book, and I think it's resonating. And I, I always like to say when I wrote Atheism Kills Larry, it was. It was written at a time, you know, back in the heady days of 2017, uh, where I was making a, a cautionary uh, book. I was talking about uh, the, the, the prospect of our society collapsing if we don't have God. And I said, you know, this is a warning, you know, and I envisioned that we could have a collapsing society in 20 years if we did not at least bring some God back into the town center. So here I am writing Atheism Destroys, the, not the sequel, but the volume two of the Atheism Kills series. And, and I feel like I'm now reporting from the middle of the hurricane, right? Before I was saying, hey, there's a hurricane coming. You know, it's uh, three days uh, away and you need to batten down the hatches and, and all that. And here's what it's going to look like. Here I'm reporting right in the middle of the hurricane, not in the eye of the hurricane, so to speak, just right here. And with all the, the cows flying in the sky and, and you know, the, the wood, uh, you know, being flown about because it's been, you know, destroyed. Uh, the houses have been destroyed. And so then power lines are down and everything else. And I just feel like I'm reporting what everyone else is now seeing. But that's the way it is, isn't it? So 
uh, among the, um, my publisher wanted me to make sure to, to go out there and to market, of course, and that's what you have to do as an author. So I did a Facebook posting, Larry, where I said, you know, this is right around Christmas time. I said, during this Christmas season, I just want to give a big shout out to Christians and Christianity, generally speaking. And, and when I say Christianity, I mean, I feel like I have to say this because Christians tell me this to me all the time, both Christians and Catholics. Did you know that they, they have this division among themselves where, where, you know, a Christian is not a Catholic and a Catholic is not a Christian, or at least that's how they, they define themselves. And I, I don't get that, but whatever. So when, in this podcast, at least when I say Christianity, I mean to include both major segments of Christianity, meaning Protestants, Catholics, Catholics, and for that matter, Mormons. I, I, I understand that there's a lot of rift among and between the Christians, and that so saddens me, and I think it also saddens you, Larry, because we as Jews, uh, conservative Jews, that is, we, we see Christians as a very big light on civilization, and it is sad indeed that there is this division. But here we are. I am impressed, Barack, that you are subtly referencing and are very alert to these distinctions. Um, there's a long tradition of difficulty between Protestantism and Catholicism, of course, in Europe, the religious wars. And there's also been some suffering by the Church of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. As it happens, and I've been proud to say this, even though they're a very small minority, they in fact are the same number of Mormons or LDS as there are Jews in the world and in the United States, which is an interesting thing. But as a minority, they are particularly great Americans, soulful people, great in their family lives, great in the business community, charitable people. And so anytime I get a chance to uh, give my two cents as a non-Christian mm -hmm. to root for brotherhood among Christians, Catholics, meaning Protestants and Catholics, mm -hmm. and LDS and other uh, denominations yeah. of yeah. Christians. Jehovah's Witnesses. Absolutely. I'm very warm and, and predisposed. So any listener listening to this right now, whatever denomination of Christianity they are, yeah. I bet they feel the goodwill you have toward them. Yes, exactly right. And I, I really don't want to get into the soup of the, the distinctions and theology among uh, the somebody. I, I understand that. I mean, look, we, we don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, uh, but we have tremendous respect for Jesus's teachings and the words that, that he had to say. We believe he existed, right? I mean, that's, uh, that's, that goes without saying. I've read the New Testament a number of times, and I thought, wow, that's, there's a lot of wisdom here. But the main mission of my, my Facebook post that I, I'm about to talk about is to just show my appreciation for Christianity. Uh, we should all do that. In fact, I, what I was saying in this post was, Christians, be proud. What do I mean by that? I, I, I mean that Christianity has given so much, and again, I, I'm saying Catholicism within that, right, and, and also Mormons, that they've given so much to the world that we just take for granted. So they've given uh, the library system the, as we know it. They've given the hospital system as we know it. They've given the charity and the school systems as we know it. They developed AA, once you know it. They uh, were the primary cause for the abolition of slavery in the Western world in the, among democracies. Oh, speaking about democracies, they are responsible for modern-day democracy and the notion of freedom, liberty, and free speech. But other than that, you know, Christianity just sucks. You know, I just, I mean, but what an amazing, amazing religion. Think about that. That's so beautifully expressed. I really was inspired at that little short uh, testimony, that briefing yeah. on the gifts of Catholics and Christians to the world um, in so many ways, in so many parts of our lives. And the one you didn't mention, but of course, is the theme of your book and, mm -hmm. and your life's work. They've kept the faith. Yeah, they, they, they really have. And I, they have kept the faith. And look, uh, Christians, thank God for Christians, as it were, because they kept the faith of the Ten Commandments. They are our brothers. Um, they are our younger brothers, if you will. Um, but boy, they um, if it weren't for Christians, we wouldn't have the Ten Commandments being uh, spread across the world and, and Western civilization in particular. Thank God. By the way, there was one other thing I forgot, and it's a very important thing, and it's the thing that I love the most to throw in the atheist's face, which is science. They gave us science as we think about it. Did you know that? 
They also give us a scientific method as we think about it. And um, I, I was right, reading a, a good book from somebody, never mind who, from whom, but he made a very good point. Science, as we think about it, in, in terms of like you see, you imagine these test tube beakers, right, and, and uh, people with telescopes and you know laboratory coats and everything else. That, that why is it like that? I mean, it, it, it's never it wasn't like that before Christian the Judeo Christianity world, um, because there is the, the reason why that world could begin in the first place was because once you had the notion of one God, that meant that there was one truth. Not many truths, one truth, right? When, when there was a bunch of gods out there, it wasn't, wasn't necessary. It's not as if any of them sought out a truth or demanded morality from people. But in the monotheistic world, suddenly there was one truth, one morality, 10 commandments, thank you very much, have a nice day. So you had this sense that, well, gosh, we know the Bible's true. We know there's one God and there's one truth. Let's find it. Let's, let's prove it to ourselves. Let's, let's go find God, as it were, right? Not in a Tower of Babel sort of way, but in a sense of let's see his glory. And so we found out the law of physics, right? We found out the, the rules of chemistry and biology. And there's this oneness that's coming out that you would never otherwise have. And that's thanks to the Judeo-Christian world, especially the Christian world. And in our secular age the objections to this celebration you have of the religious faiths, religion, the contributions of religious societies and people come in several forms. The critiques are there never can be one truth. There's so many gradations and shades of gray. And what do you mean there's one truth about anything? That's a severe challenge that I know you've addressed. Mm -hmm. And the other would be legitimate criticisms of um, the flaws within the religious world. Radical Islam would be a contemporary example. And overreaching by religious authorities, big mistakes by religions, oppressions by religious figures, the abuse of religion that has happened in history. And so I know you've addressed both of these major challenges to Mm -hmm. the celebration of Christianity or Mm -hmm. religion in the West or generally, which is uh, how can there be one truth about anything? And religion makes mistakes too, sometimes big ones. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's a, it's a very good point. Now, notice how I said a Judeo-Christian all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I specifically did not bring out uh, Islam as... The younger, uh, younger brother. Yeah, because I, I, I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, not, I'm not poo-pooing Islam. I'm being very careful here. But at the same time, I don't think that they're related. Uh, it is not the same God as the Judeo-Christian God. Uh, it is a very different faith. And again, I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'm simply saying that it's not part of what we view as Western civilization. It did not create Western civilization. It did not advance Western civilization. You could say that Islam um, helped in many other ways uh, in the non-Western world, fine. But uh, I do not put Islam in the same category as uh, the Jewish and the, the Christian traditions. Um, these, what I talk about in the book and otherwise, are about the great, the great contributions of the Judeo-Christian world and how thankful we, are, we should be. The way I put it, I mean, you ever said, you saw the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, right? Yes. With Jimmy Stewart in it. What was that? Frank Bailey or something like that? Yes. That was his name? Okay. So the, the concept is simple. Um, Frank Bailey wants to commit suicide because he, he feels terrible about a transaction that didn't, uh, that where he lost money or it was, it was stolen from the bank and he's responsible for it. And he feels bad. And then he says, I wish I were, I were never born. And then sure enough, Clarence, the angel, comes by and says, oh, you want to see that? Oh, let me show you. <laughs> and, of course, he shows Frank Bailey, the character, what life would be like without him. And he learns very quickly that terrible things would have happened. Um, a lot of people that he had saved his, uh, the lives of would, would have died, uh, would have not been there. A lot of other things would not have been. And the town itself would have suffered traumatically without him. So... I say, well... George Bailey, by the way. Oh, sorry, George Bailey, not Frank Bailey. Yeah, there you go. So um, so what if, what if we made a movie or a book or a concept of, you know, it's a wonderful civilization and imagined a world like the atheists would like to imagine it? Wouldn't it be a better world without Christianity, right? Wouldn't, I wish Christianity was never born, right? To use George Bailey's mm-hmm. line. 
okay, and here comes Clarence the angel. And he says, all right, George, let me show you. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be a very pretty picture. We would not have freedom and democracy. We would not have free speech. We would not have all the science. We would not have all the things we previously listed, the hospitals, the AA, everything else. Okay? It would be Sodom and Gomorrah in one shape or the other. There would be no, no notion of one true sense of morality. Everything would be relative, uh, relativistic in, in the morality sense. It would be awful. And I, I would love to see that play out. Like, would, would the atheist really want to see that? And then, and then I want the atheist, after he sees that world, I want him to run out in the street and say, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. And suddenly they'll be so appreciative. But, but we see this also, Larry, in, in the demonizing of America. Same thing. You could say, what if the world didn't have America? What, what would we not have in civilization? Well, we certainly wouldn't have the thing that we're using right now, which is the te- all the technology uh, that we enjoy for making this podcast. We wouldn't have the, the telephone. We wouldn't have the, the harnessing of electricity. We wouldn't have the, uh, an iPhone. We wouldn't have, uh, well, you name it, air conditioning, right? We wouldn't have air flight. We wouldn't have cars. We wouldn't have so many things. I mean, maybe eventually here or there we'd have an invention, but it wouldn't be like what America is. And it's all because of, thank you very much, the, the Judeo-Christian mindset. Thank you. And that's, what, that's, that's all I want to say. And what happened in this Facebook posting, uh, the reactions, many of them were very appreciative. Oh, thank you very much. You're a blessing. And it's so great that you appreciate this. And Merry Christmas to you too, if I can say that, Barack. And, and we, we love the Jews too. Okay, it was wonderful. It was a very nice thing. But there were many people who said, yeah, and Christianity gave us the Holocaust. It gave us the pogroms. It gave the, the, uh, the Crusades and the Inquisition. So, you know, mic drop there, you know, as far as they saw it. And I said, first of all, I'm talking about the contributions of Christianity. Okay, so let's, let's deal with that, first of all. That's the essence of this post. Second, you are wrong about these, these things. The Christians did not create the Holocaust. In fact, that's a, that's a libel. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a, a libel pure and simple. Um, Hitler was the ultimate atheist. At best, he was a pantheist but nothing like a Christian. He hated Christianity, hated them. Yes, he went after the Jews because in a sense, and forgive me for using the phrase, they were low-hanging fruit. Okay, first the Jews and then everyone else. Too, too many Christians to fight. If he took on Christianity first, he would lose, of course. But the Christians, uh, they were next. Don't, you know, and, he, and he killed a lot of Christians. People think that only Jews were killed in the Holocaust. A lot of Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, a lot of other Protestants, a lot of other Catholics, believe me, he killed a lot of people, um, and including homosexuals and anybody else that he, he perceived not to fit within his Nazi vision. So, uh, no, it, the Christians did not create the, the Holocaust. That is a libel. The Christians also didn't create the pogroms. That's a libel, too. There, there may have been Christians among which participated in pogroms in Russia and otherwise. That doesn't mean that the, the church uh, established that as a doctrine, you know, the go get the Jews doctrine. It's nothing like that at all. Same thing with the Crusades, which was, yes, there were some indiscretions made by some soldiers along the way uh, on the Crusades, and they, they killed a, a lot of Jewish towns among the Rhineland in whatever the year was. I think it was the year 1096 or something like that. That's a thousand years old. Can you give it up a little bit? Is there, is there, is, is there does statute of limitations apply at all in, the, in some context here? I mean, talk about holding a grudge. <laughs> so, and then, and then and by the way, the Pope and the church de- de- denounced that. They denounced it and they denounced any anti Semitism. Now, does that mean that they, they went huggy huggy with all the rabbis of the town? No. Okay. Did they, did they, uh, do they invent Kufi? You know, the coalitions, you know, Christians United for Israel? No, okay, I get it. But that's a far cry from saying that the church actually established a doctrine against Jews. Uh, likewise with the Inquisition, the Inquisition was not a church-sponsored doctrine. No, it was not. Also, it wasn't that virile. Uh, it, it, small. It, only, it was small numbers. 250 people died, were killed as a result of the Inquisition over a 300-year a span of history. Okay, listen, uh, you know, that's not, every life is precious, I get that, but that ain't no Holocaust, okay, where six million Jews were killed in the span of four years, all right? So that, that's a big difference here. Just on that one point, um, Hitler was rooted in the racial philosophy 
that was presented to the world by the most anti-religious, anti-Christian, anti-Jewish figure of the Enlightenment, which was Voltaire. Voltaire was bitterly opposed to the ancient uh, biblical and Judeo-Christian civilization. And so much so that he came up with race theories about the Jews. And that was the source in Europe of a lot of Hitler's racialism and antipathy. It was the opposite of Christian-based. It was secular enlightenment-based. Yeah, you're so right. And I, I, I know Voltaire deeply. And he was a very cynical man. Uh, what did he say? Uh, I'll say it in French because it sounds so pretty in French. He said, S'il n'était pas en Dieu... Uh, which means if there were no God, it would be necessary to create him. And that's cynical, right? I mean, he felt it as, a, as an atheist himself. He was actually probably an atheist. And he did hate Jews, just like you said. He really hated them. Um, he thought that they would enjoy the Enlightenment and that he would, that they would all embrace it because now here's this great new philosophy that was open and Jews could participate. And the Jews said, thank you very much, we're still Jewish. And that was, that was, that dog did not hunt with Voltaire. Sure. Same thing with Martin Luther, by the way. He, you know, he was not a big fan of the Jews. But then again, in, in defense of a Protestants out there, uh, Martin Luther hated everybody. It wasn't, he didn't just single out the Jews. He singled out everybody. He, he, I think he singled out his own family. He, he hated everyone so much. But anyway, it's a very interesting point. Look, uh, the other thing that I got from that posting was, you know, in addition to these, these accusations and such, so I, I addressed them all. Um, what was really funny was one, one guy said... I've checked out this Barack Lurie's profile, and it's clear that he's a Messianic Jew for Jesus, right? You know, check out his temple that he goes to. And, you be, and be honest with your uh, Facebook friends, Barack. Like, so I wrote back to him in a lickety-split moment, and I said, uh, you didn't review any profile. You are a liar. That does not say anything of the sort. And P.S., I don't really belong to any temple, let alone the Messianic temple. I've, I've never been to even a service of a Jew for Jesus. I don't like the Jews for Jesus. So I'll, I'll say that plainly right now. Um, he, he, I said, my friend, the fact that I simply show my appreciation for Christians doesn't mean that I'm a Jew for Jesus. You got that? Right? No, no less that, that Christians appreciate Jews and Judaism. That doesn't make them Jews. Right? I mean, anyway, it's, this guy was such a schmuck, but go ahead. This is such a tender and difficult um, conversation, this whole um, approach to the fact that there are Jews for Jesus has confused and upset many Jews, uh, maybe even threatened them at times. I've come to the other side of that um, conversation. I judge people by their behavior and their spirit. And I, while I'm not associated in any way and have no even friendships, I'm not threatened by. I'm, I'm not threatened by them either. I, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying. It's just that it was just a lie. That, that's, that's why I responded to it. You know, for the Jews for Jesus out there, if you're one of the listeners out there, I just say, make a choice. You know, either you're a Jew or you're a Christian. Okay, but, but uh, saying you're a Jew for Jesus is, I don't know what... Uh, a Christian uh, for Allah. Well, I'd say it's more something like uh, a Christian who doesn't believe in the divinity of Jesus, right? I mean, okay, well, then you're not a Christian then, right? Uh, a, a Christian who doesn't believe that, that Jesus was their savior. I mean, in a story, you're not a, a Christian anymore. The other area where I have, um, I think, matured and uh, grown compassionate is toward converts to Judaism. I think there's a tremendous gift that Christians who become Jews... Love those guys. ...that they bring into Jewish life. And also just their personal journey is often very brave and very soulful. Um, I also think Jews should be careful to be grateful to and warm toward anybody who wants to affiliate with this uh, flamboyant and controversial <laughs> small group of people on earth. Um, and so I've been very warm-hearted toward Christians, even if they didn't convert, but maybe through their family or their friendships have been affiliated with Jews. Yeah, uh, that, that's so well said. I, of course, I, I embrace, uh, you know, 
converted Jews just as much as, and, and treat them as full Jews, just like you and I would, would treat an American who becomes, who became American, Absolutely. naturalized. I, I'm a naturalized American. You, you don't see me as anything other than a full-blooded American. I'm not, oh yeah, well, Breckler, he's, he's a nice guy, but you know, yeah, and he's American too, but, you know, <laughs> asterisks, <laughs> let's just make it clear that he's not a full American. No, that's not the way we think in America. We are full, full Americans in every sense. Anyway, Bottom line is this Facebook posting was very, um, very nice in many ways because they, the outpouring of love, uh, by and among Jews and Christians to each other for one thing and the appreciation and the new way of thinking. And, and I really, I, Larry, I gotta tell you, I, I want, we Jews and you and I are both Jewish. We, we know what the Jews have given the world, right? We've given, you know, I mean, countless inventions, countless discoveries, countless literature and movies and music and uh, ethical approaches. Ethical approaches. We give them the Ten Commandments for crying out loud. Uh, monotheism, of course, the biggie. Uh, but we've also given time. Time is a concept. Mm-hmm. People don't know that. Uh, we've given justice and truth. Okay, these are very important um, gifts of the Jews. Gifts of the Jews. And without that, uh, we would have no civilization. But we know this, we, and we, we have to know it because in order for us to survive as a people, we have to justify our existence and such. And that's one of those things. Listen, one of the gifts of the Jews that you've brought, Barack, and I share and have done also, not enough Jews have expressed gratitude, warmth, friendship, thankfulness toward Christians who've been there for us. Yeah. And have rescued Jews or supported Jews or defense. damn straight, damn straight. You know, no, no atheist has ever saved Jews in uh, in the Holocaust. That's where the when the rubber met the road, it was it was the Christians who saved the Jews. I'll take it one step further, and I have a feeling you have a shared view on this, mm-hmm. um, maybe more prominently than me, which is great. I have spoken in churches, mm-hmm. often not a dry eye, in the house, mm-hmm. and I'm treated more warmly. And there's a spirit in the room that's different yeah. than speaking to cantankerous, often left-wing. Well, and the reformed Jewish movement you're yes, talking about. And yeah. very, very skeptical yeah. uh, Jewish audiences. And frankly, they're not uh, warm enough and grateful enough to this very large, by the way, yeah. I still think the majority in this country shared alliance and brotherhood between Jews and Christians. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, speaking about uh, Jewish congregations, I... I my so, so people get perspective because there's Reformed Judaism and there's Conservative Judaism and there's Orthodox Judaism. Conservative Judaism, as you can imagine, is is more leaning toward traditional uh, uh, Judaism. They're very warm. The Orthodox Jews even warmer. Uh, they're always smiling and they're very appreciative. They're more like the Christians in that sense. The Reformed Jews, yeah, I mean, there, there's some. I've, I've spoken in front of many churches and um, many reform synagogues as well as Orthodox synagogues. And the reform synagogues, as much as they are respectful, they're also, as you said, skeptical. And I, I'm talking about God. I mean, the need to have God in society. And I'm saying this in front of a synagogue crying out loud. With an and, ark behind you. Yeah, with an ark behind me, exactly right where the Torah scrolls are. And uh, they... You know, they, they kind of say, well, how can you say there's a God when dot, dot, dot? Like, what the heck? You know, I mean, I understand if I'm in front of a crowd of atheists, but, uh, you know, they, anyway, the challenges are very interesting. Uh, look, we um, were blessed to be in this civilization. We need to appreciate what we have. And I, I appreciate Christianity, for one thing. I want Christians to appreciate themselves. I want them to be as proud of being Christians as you and I, Larry, are being proud of being Jews. That's what I want. And for that to happen, I think that they have to understand that Christianity is more than just a belief system. It's a belief system. It's a culture that has developed science, uh, archaeology, uh, a sense of truth, a sense of democracy and freedom and free speech, all those things that I talked to you before. Uh, you guys should all be amazingly, astonishingly proud you know, when somebody says, when an atheist approaches you and, and starts challenging your Christianity, whether it's theological or otherwise, you say, okay, what have you done for me? What, what have you done for civilization lately? Nothing. The atheists have done nothing on this planet. Uh, no, correction. They did sponsor a small section of the 405 freeway 
uh, Atheists United. So you can bet that there are a couple of atheists from time to time cleaning up, uh, cleaning up that freeway, okay? So <laughs> I guess that it's not a total shutout, <laughs> right? But, but you get the idea. The atheists have done nothing, nothing. You know, they, they haven't really contributed to science uh, as, as uh, an ideology whatsoever. Okay, so now the atheist listening to this is saying, and I know this only because I was an atheist once, um, what are you talking about, Barack? You know, atheism is simply an, it's not an ideology like you proclaim it to be. We just don't believe in your unicorn god, your sky god out there, this fairy tale that you believe in. That's all. Leave us alone. Okay, yes. I, uh, fine, I'll leave you alone. But the point is your, your non-ideology, if you want to call it, has led to nothing. You don't believe in anything and you do nothing. You know, these, the, the, the Christians, at the very least, they, they, they created civilization. What, what, what is an atheism that promotes contribution and progress of any kind? I dare you. So this is powerful. There's both a practical consideration here and a spiritual one. One quick factoid on the practical. Apparently, over decades and decades and decades... Religious people are much more charitable uh, at the macro level and at the personal level than atheists are. Mm. And at the spiritual level, if we're all seekers for meaning in life, light and dark, goodness and evil, ultimate meaning, certainly the spiritual path, the religious civilization offers us mm, pathways, roadways, towards spiritual inheritance and meaning and something to pass on to our kids. Even, by the way, traditions, which give people a lot of warmth and joy. Oh, I remember when my grandfather did this or when my mom did that or at the holidays we did this. That's something you carry with you forever. Mm -hmm. It's not always easily recallable, but it's in that moment. Mm -hmm. It's in a song. It's in a Friday night service. It's in a Sunday morning service. And the holidays are a time when we pass on to kids these traditions. Are there a lot of atheist traditions? No, of course not. Uh, there, there are no such things. That, and Rituals and observances and beliefs. and Yeah, n- none of those things. They're, they don't offer anything. They, there's no meaning to it. And, uh, and you, you may very well say, well, we, we, we're, we're cool with July 4th. We're cool with Thanksgiving. We're, th- we're cool even with Christmas. It's time to get together with family. But, but you would think that. But instead, what they're trying to do is, is actually tear down a lot of these things. They, they want to tear down Christmas for sure because that's celebrating, you know, the birth of Christ and that's separation of uh, church and state. And, you know, how can we actually sanction a, a federally recognized holiday for this religion thing? Isn't that, you know, doesn't that kind of fly in the face of separation of church and state? And, and likewise, that's going to come to Thanksgiving because, you know, they already hate the history of America so much, and uh, those pilgrims that came and had uh, dinner with the Native Americans at the time, uh, well, you know, they later slaughtered them, so, you know, aren't we being hypocritical? Same thing with July 4th. Why are we celebrating uh, the independence of this country when, in fact, it was uh, just uh, founded on slavery, and aren't we just, you know, uh, celebrating slavery? And so they're, they're, they're busy tearing it down. So not only do, not, do they not have their own traditions, but they're busy trying to tear down the holidays that we do have uh, because, you know, they, they, they envision a whole different world. Yes, I know a lot of people are saying, what are you talking about? That's not the way I feel. I get it. You, you may not feel that way if you're an atheist, but I'm telling you, many of your friends do. They want it done. I wanted it done. When I was an atheist, I didn't want it. I, I want Christmas gone. I, I even want Thanksgiving gone. So a lot of people out there are like that. They, they're very hostile to anything that smells like, like Americanism or Christianity. I mean, the duty and opportunity for religious people in this country, the United States, is to be loving and charitable and somewhat um, forgiving and non-judgmental in their spirit toward others. Yeah. I often find that's the case. I do find that spirit. Mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of uh, Bible-thumping, mean-spirited people on the corner in L.A. or New York or, <laughs> or Las Vegas or anywhere else. Right. Um, so it's a credit to Christians if they can maintain their poise when they are you know, mocked or castigated or opposed. I would summarize, Barack, if it's helpful to you, mm-hmm. this contribution you're making in this series on atheism, uh, 
I think it's built on the idea that religious civilization and the belief in God has offered the world many gifts, many individual and societal paths toward greatness even, and that the threats we've seen in the last 20, 40, 60 years, the last two or three generations to stability and order, to success and prominence, to American unity and uh, dignity and justice and harmony um, have all been weakened with the decline of God in schools and of God in our lives. You know, you might you might even have a book in there. (laughs) I think I like like that. I don't know what would I call it. Uh, atheism, uh, what uh, kills? I guess, uh, and then or, or what, whatever. Atheism destroys. I mean, uh, something like that, but not so lame. You know, titles like that. <laughs> anyway, just kidding around. But but yes, of course, uh, it, it, we we need to quickly realize that these past sixty years, really, since the um, since nineteen sixty five or so, uh, that was a, there was a big big change, and uh, we were losing God more and more. Let's, I, I want to move on to another topic, but it's very related, and that is the status of of conservatism. And Larry actually brought this up as a good idea. And to that end, um, I want to play a clip um, from Kamala Harris, um, where she's being interviewed by this uh, Cheryl Mine, uh, the God. I don't know why he calls himself that, but it's a little narcissistic, I would think. But nevertheless, that doesn't matter. He is talking to her about various different issues. And then finally he says, you know, who's in charge? What's, what's going on here? And, and I, and I want to bring it up because I think it's a great segue to talk about where conservatism is, is going. So let's, let's play this. Because the issues are too serious and they impact everybody every day. And I agree with you. They're very serious. I, who's the superhero that's going to speak against Joe Manchin, no. I want to know who's the real president of this country. Is it, Bi- is it Joe Biden or Joe Manchin? I'm sorry. I just want to interrupt, but I don't think anybody said anything. It's the mom. I'm so sorry, Charlie. We have to interrupt. Okay, so there's a problem here. She's, she's proclaiming that she can't be heard, but, it's, but she can. Can you hear me, Madam okay, Vice President? Okay, so I'm sorry. You got to wrap. Oh. So I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. They're acting like they can't hear me. Now, now they want to say, well, you got to wrap this up because they're afraid of this question. So let's continue on. I can hear you. <laughs> oh, so who's, the real, hear you. so who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden, Madam Vice President? Come on, Charlemagne. I really, Come on. I, it's Joe Biden. I can't no, tell no, sometimes. No, 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 no. It's Joe Biden. And don't start talking like a Republican about asking whether or not he's president. Do you think Joe Manchin and, is and a it's problem? Joe, and, it's Joe, and it's Joe Biden. And I'm vice president. And my name is Kamala Harris. Okay, so she, as she's saying this, she's giving him the hand. And then she points, wags a finger at him, uh, insisting that she's the vice president. So let's continue on. And the reality is because we are in office... We do the things like the child tax credit, which is going to reduce black child. Okay, so anyway, she goes on and on to talk about uh, the great uh, plans that they have and everything else. But look at how defensive she became. This is a, and the reason why I brought this, this video up, Larry, is because I, it, it shows not just the Biden administration kind of off its wheels, uh, derailed, as it were, but also the Democrat Party itself. It, it seems like it doesn't know what it wants from itself other than to its, assert its power. And, and the way she talks, where she says, Joe Biden's the president and I'm the vice president. And, and uh, you know, what she could have done is said, look, uh, you know, Charlemagne, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I understand where you're going. But, of course, Joe is president. I'm vice president. Can we talk about the issues, please? I just want to say X, Y, and Z. And, uh, and what we're going to do with Joe Manchin? Well, he's his own man and everything else, and hopefully he'll see the light and, and vote for BBB, okay? But uh, nothing like that has happened. There is a defensiveness going on within the left party that I think, uh, yes, will inure to the benefit of the conservatives for the time being, but I also think that the future of the conservative party, the Republicans, generally speaking, is, is a good one. Uh, in contrast, at least, to the Liberal Party, the Democrats. Um, and and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. But the main reason being, and I'd love for you to elaborate on this, um, having heard the way that Kamala Harris spoke and everything else, I think every, her tone and everything uh, kind of reveals, is, is, is very revealing. Uh, I think that part of the reason why the conservatives will have a better shot 
not just in 2022 and 24, but if they maintain it well, that they have a uh, one major foundation, and that is morality and God and a, a sense of purpose in America and a love of America. They have that as a cornerstone in their platform. I don't think that the Democrats have that. And because of that, I think that we win and they lose, to use a, a famous phrase from a, a favorite president of mine. So a big thought on the left and then a big thought on the right. On the left, what we see now is a big split. There are classic liberals who are shocked at the rise of progressive politics, socialists, even neo-Marxists. And their European, European thoughts about free speech, for example, where they prioritize the feelings of the listener, not the absolute rights of the speaker in a democracy to present ideas, whether you like them or not. Um, we believe free speech is about the robust competition of ideas. And so classic liberals understand that conservatives are the victims of radical left views about speech or radical left views about free markets or the ability to make a living or mm -hmm. radical left views about the founding of our country uh, and that we're all still guilty for slavery, even though none of us were here during slavery, or that um, Martin Luther King Jr. was wrong about the content of your character rather than the color of your skin. So on every level, the centrist, moderate Democrat, often pro-business or patriotic or pro-military or pro-national security or pro-border security or pro-reasonableness reason, in politics, is shocked at how far the left will go. The left says that democracy is under peril. The left says democracy is under yeah, all people. I mean, talk about that. They're the party of projection, right? They, they, they are constantly doing these things. They, they engage in the Russian collusion, and then they accuse the Republicans of the Russian collusion. But and, go ahead. And post-constitutionalism and voter ID, and you need to be a citizen. Insurrection. Right, and you need to be a citizen to vote, and uh, we need to respect the filibuster, and they like the filibuster until they don't like it. At every level, the left will tear down democracy to achieve their socialist aims. So that's interesting that there's a growing split. Democratic parents understood in Virginia that the radical left was cramming down really hostile race-based thinking to their children and had enough of it in Virginia, which had become a democratic state. Well, and plus they also want to take the position that you don't have the right to uh, complain or even have any rights whatsoever to in, in the education of your children. Absolutely. But th this is the way they, they've always thought, isn't it? I mean, the, the Democrats have, have uh, they're always about controlling one way or the other. They want to control the COVID thing, of course. They want to control um, uh, how, the, how, how voting is done in this country, for example. Of course, the tax laws and then and, every and now campus, education. And every campus, of course. So that's an interesting phenomenon where more and more centrist Americans urban parents, Hispanics, and others are very unimpressed with the left-wing progressive agenda. So that's good news for the conservative side. But now we look at what is the positive agenda or the rich life, let's say, intellectual life, policy life of the conservative world. And here, there are some really healthy, I think, dialogues and splits, which have not turned very nasty, except for some of the never-Trumpers who were insider Washington Republicans who got really cantankerous about the fact that blue-collar Reagan Democrats were starting to vote Republican. Yeah. And that meant that the Chamber of Commerce and the really wealthy Republicans were being challenged by blue-collar masses of... Yeah, it, did, it didn't fit their narrative of how they saw themselves, right? Uh, these, they uh, were in charge of Washington. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they're they're in charge. Uh, they're, they're part of the swamp, and they just had this vision of this highbrow intellectual. What's his guy? guy Bill uh, Crystal. Yeah, Jonah Goldberg. Uh, you know, and uh, what's his name? Bill Crystal. Bill Crystal, especially. Yeah. yeah. So these are, these are the guys saying, "How you know we we are we're the um, the Fraser Cranes of uh, the politics." Yes, and and we we get to we get to decide what's right for everyone else, and and it's a very it was a very elitist mentality that's similar to the Democrats. Absolutely. So there was an elite part of the Republican coalition, which uh, really didn't handle well the changing demographics and the new issues set presented by Trump and Trumpism. You know, what you say is very interesting because um, let me make an analogy to you. Um, you know, people often bemoan the, uh, the lack of classiness now in air travel, right? I mean, you and I are old enough to remember that when we went on a plane, you, you got dressed up, 
right? And it was a special event and they would give you little toys if you're a kid, right? And you would get really good food and and the, the stewardesses, and they called them stewardesses back then, they, they were polite and they smiled and everything else. And now, well, you know, you get in there and uh, other people there are dressed in shorts and they're baggies and uh, they got tattoos everywhere and, and some people are a little drunk and, and uh, you know, it's, it kind of is different. But you know what? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Air travel is now affordable for people who previously couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. So it used to be really expensive. It was monopolistic. Um, and I think it's actually a perfect analogy as I'm going through this. Uh, there, was, there, there was a good old boys network, as it were. Only certain people could fly. Uh, and to them, it was just glorious. You know, it was something to look forward to. And now, you know, Joe, Joe Blow can, can fly in an airplane and get to see anyone at any time. It's, it's far cheaper for him and for everyone, for that matter. And that's a good thing. And the Republican Party now is just like the airlines, isn't it? Where people are beginning to see the wisdom and beauty of America and free speech and liberty. And they're awakening to this, hopefully this God moment and they're joining on board, and, and the, the Bill Crystals uh, and the Jonah Goldbergs and, and otherwise are, are looking at this and, and with a little snooty attitude and saying, you know, I, I don't know if I want this in my party. Well, guess what? It's a good thing. Some of it, I really like what you just did there. Some of it is um, uh, atmospherics and country club Republicans and elite columnists in Washington, D.C., who invited these masses of Trump voters in. But some of it is actually a fairly healthy dialogue among these fusionist, meaning varied, branches of conservatism. What I like is that it's a pretty big tent. You still have your Chamber of Commerce free trade people, but you also have your let's protect our jobs and industries uh, from all going over to China. You have your national security advocates and let's uh, promote democracy and liberty around the world and protect human rights. But you've got a pretty robust uh, critique of the Iraq wars and the Bush foreign policy and the neocons, as they call it. You've got people who are even libertarian open borders types. And then you've got a lot of people who are saying open borders are a disaster. Illegal immigration is a disaster. Mexican cartels picking on uh, little girls from South and Central America, abusing human rights. It's all a disaster. Not checking for COVID, bringing in drugs, uh, the the, the smuggling of people, the letting in uh, terrorists. Okay. So you've got this big diversity and I didn't want to ignore it, Barack. I wanted to call it out. This big diversity among the conservative movement. William F. Buckley and Frank Meyer, his aide-de-camp, put together the Fusionist Coalition, which brought us Ronald Reagan. After so many years in the wilderness, and by the way, being an afterthought in New York intellectual circles and Washington, D.C. politics, there's no way anyone thought in the 60s and 70s when Democrats ruled Congress by huge majorities that Ronald Reagan would come along and we'd have a long period of conservative politics in this country, eventually getting Congress back under Newt Gingrich in 94. But the conservative movement was fusionist. It brought together national security conservatives during the Cold War, which was very important, and free market economic liberty conservatives and social conservatives, mostly from the South. Today, there's an argument for defusionism, which means draw an alliance to even these classic liberals that I talked about. This is most um, robustly presented by Yoram Hazoni and the National Conservatism Movement. Mm -hmm. My beef with the National Conservative Movement is they're actually arguing for big government conservatism. Now, some of this might appeal to you, Barack. They want to bring God back into the schools. They have an argument that government needs to have a mission, and conservatives need to have a positive agenda to use the levers of government. I want to admit I'm pretty much stuck in smaller government is better. Well, no, I, I agree with smaller government being better. I just, yes. I, I, I just don't want them attacking God. That's all. I, I don't want them to dismantle God. You know, for those... Those local governments and those local schools, for that matter, that say that they, they want to have an after-school program celebrating Jesus and uh, Christian Bible-thumping classes, whatever you want to call them, uh, let them be. Okay, so, so it's still small government. I just don't want them dismantling Absolutely. God and, and demonizing God, as it were. That's the issue. So let, let, let's, because we have to wrap up, we're losing time here, but uh, what's your final say-so on the health of the conservative movement in America. Are we, are we in a good place? 
Uh, I, I know we're in a good place, for example, by November 22. I think, you know, all signs are pointing toward a healthy take back of the Congress and so on. But in a long term perspective, are, are we going to are we going to win America? And, and if not, what can we do to turn it around? Great question. I am generally a happy warrior and an optimist about the freedom agenda, about this coalition and alliance politics. There are so many levers that we can pull to uplift people and reward them at the family level. This movement of parents into the GOP column, because the left is so hostile, so union dependent, so organized to dominate our children, this is a major phenomenon. The move of Hispanics, who are naturally, by the way, conservative people, religious, pro-military, pro-border security even, and pro-righteous small business uh, opportunity. The left overreached on COVID. For a generation, the left has now lost a lot of people, as crazed and power-hungry as you admit. And the last sentence is, the left is still the best friend of the conservatives because they're out of control. They are power-hungry. They're totally mean-spirited. The way they dox people and chase them into bathrooms and call them names and they hate speech, the left is their own worst enemy. And it's unappealing to the American spirit, which is generally one of optimism and hope for our children. Yeah. All right. Well said, Larry Greenfield. <clears throat> what a pleasure and an honor, really, to have you. I, guys, uh, Larry, Larry Greenfield is quite an incredible conservative voice out there, and he's written and he's spoken in front of large crowds, and, uh, and his background uh, with the Navy, uh, although uh, you know, my brother would be very shocked what, with him having gone to West Point. He's very, very disappointed in any friend I might have who has gone to the Navy, but don't tell him, and uh, don't, don't ask, don't tell. There you go. Go Navy. Go <laughs> He, my brother will leave every conversation saying, uh, beat Navy. Yes. You know, right? Go and, Army, beat Navy. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, it's very cute. But anyway, uh, what a blessing it is to have you. And, uh, you. and not only that, but as a neighbor. Uh, so it's a, it's a oh, close neighbor, meaning the same city. All right. God bless you, Larry Greenfield. Everyone else, thank you so much. Be proud of being a Christian. If you're a Christian, be proud. And if you're not a Christian, be thankful. <laughs> <laughs> for all the Christianity, and that includes the Catholics and Mormons and the, just the, a great group of people that have really advanced the Ten Commandments and our sense of morality and freedom and science and democracy itself. God bless you all. This is Brock Lurie signing off and saying we'll talk with you next week. <laughs>